0: This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Learn more about PASA's 2021 virtual conference at pasafarming.org/conference. This week on Meet and Three, it's our 100th episode. We're breaking the mold to kick off our mini series on global trade:
1: vegetable, fruits, grains, and cooking technique pass from one region to another. And that's interesting that that region transformed that ingredient into their own specialties.
2: There was a time where black pepper was a luxury, and we know that because people were willing to invest huge amounts of money to go to the spice islands in order to get uh, pepper. <laughs> you know, stuff we take for granted now. You know, you go into a restaurant and it's free.
0: Tune in to Meet and Three HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you get your podcasts. <music>
3: Welcome to Cooking Issues. We've already gone through this today, but you haven't heard it because Zoom went down in Roberta's because Brooklyn's internet is no, 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 no. no, no, no. Rhode Island. It's Rhode Island. Oh, you're yeah, back in that. Rhode Island. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all on Rhode Island. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah so this is Cooking Issues coming to you. I have to say we were on time. I have, you know, Rebecca the Hammer Lopez in, uh, in Rhode Island. <laughs> oh, sorry, in, uh, in, oh, man, in California. you just
4: did a whole big mismatch. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Rebecca,
3: Rebecca the Hammer Lopez the
4: Hammer in Lopez. Rhode Island. Nah, oh, geez. We, you We've all
3: merged to one. You are, yeah, that's because I, I have the similar feelings about all of you right now. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't have similar feelings. You're all separate people. All right, let's start fresh. I'm starting fresh, people. We were actually on time today, and the very first thing I said when uh, we were online, and maybe this is what cut us off, I said, we're actually on time now that we're here, but it doesn't matter as much because people aren't live with us anymore, and John, who's in Boston right now, is, uh, said that people can follow in in the chat room. So there you have it. Uh, so let's just <laughs> go through this as though this is normal. We're going to rip through some questions. Uh Nastasia you're in California how you doing? Good. Yeah. Uh, Matt in Rhode Island I guess. Everything uh, good? Yeah,
4: doing, doing good.
3: Yeah. And so the first time we went through this this morning John was saying that uh, he's in Boston at his sister's place and you were saying you had some fine food you want to plug those guys out again?
2: Yeah. Uh Flower uh, Joanne Cheng's place it's a little small bakery chain around the city really good stuff and then uh Myers and Chang which is her more formal sit-down contemporary Asian restaurant uh, that also does delivery. It was quite good. So And Regino's Pizzeria, very good.
3: Nice. All right, now, well, we had said that at the beginning we weren't going to talk about Charlie Chaplin, although I was told that he was a well-endowed fellow as well as what he looked like uh, on the outside with his clothing on, according to the people on the Twitter. I don't know. I said Milton Berle style, and they're like, no, no one's Milton Berle style. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, but Nastasia and John thought it'd be a good idea if I just ripped through a bunch of questions, but, um, to do that, can you guys go on the questions and look up, because someone wanted us to go over some of these products on a, on a gift guide, uh, and, you know, it'd be helpful to have you guys, uh, on that as well. So you guys can, you know, you at least know what I'm talking about and you can chime in and, uh, Nastasia going to do her hammer thing and make sure that, uh, I don't go on more than uh, a little bit of time on each question. True. Sure. Because we're gonna try to wipe this slate clean, right? Okay.
2: That'd be great, that's ambitious, but yeah, let's try.
3: Are you, now, I'm just letting you know, Nastasia, ahead of time, some triggering is gonna happen because there are carbonation questions. Okay. All right, you're forewarned is forearmed, as they say. Okay, uh, let's start. From behind the wall via Instagram, hey, John and Dave, thanks for attempting to answer my question. I realize it didn't make much sense the way I was expecting it to go. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to go straight on the show. This was a question about carbonation. So here was start starting with what Nastasi hates right from the jump. Uh, anyhow, here's what I meant. Uh, we are using Dave's carbonation cap and PET bottle method to make bottled uh, seltzer cocktails with great success. Uh, so much so that demand has gone out right up uh, gone, gone right, this was an old question, gone right up to, uh, through Christmas. At present, we run a line of PET bottles, which is the, you know, soda bottles. We use liters. Sometimes we'll use two liters when we're doing big batches. Um, and then, uh, dispatch it into nine ounce glass bottles and cap as we go. All good, but we can only produce about 39 ounce bottles every two hours. Okay, so someone mentioned using corny kegs as a way to bulk up production and we tried using the same technique as you as you did with the PET bottle and carbonation cap method however we're not getting the same results that's cuz the corny keg is gonna it's gonna suck you can only do low volumes of carbonation by dispensing out of a corny keg with an alcoholic cocktail it's just i've never i've had people the best jobs that you can do out of a corny keg are still, let's say, lightly carbonated. And then once you put it into a bottle, you're losing more carbonation. And then, you know, once they open it and they pour it into their glass, they're losing more carbonation. And so in the end, it's a very lightly carbonated product. And that's fine for certain cocktails, especially Negronis, but it's in general not necessarily what you're looking for, especially if you're used to the carbonation levels that you can get out of doing it the way that God and nature intended, which is to carbonate in the PET bottle and then pour directly into the cocktail glass. So I'm just going to say that you're not going to reach those levels that way. Now, people have done carbonation uh, in kegs or in containers and built counter pressure uh fillers that work with cocktails and i've heard that some people have had a a certain amount of success doing that i have never tasted those products so i can't tell you whether they are good or not um but you know that's going to be an expensive system and you're not just gonna be able to dispense out of a out of a corny cake now i will say this what you are telling me is is that uh you are only doing 30 time okay i haven't even started answering the question yet. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, but I mean, all right, give me another minute. 30 30 bottles every two hours means that you are doing 15 bottles an hour, which means that you're doing, I don't know, do the math. It's like slow. You need a, a much faster technique. What you need to do is get all of your carbonation bottles, triple carb, get them in ice, then put all of your bottles, fill them with ice water, not with not with, uh, don't freeze them because that'll cause carbonation problems. Put them in ice water, clean, then... Pull out four at a time, fill them four at a time from the, from the two liter, right? As soon as those four are filled, cap, recarb, chill that one, move to the next PET bottle that you already have pre-capped and go down the line. You should be able to get at least four times as much with one person using bus tubs with a uh, carbonated cocktail and your bottles pre-iced. You should be able to get at least four times that volume. All right. Was that an extra minute? Did I, did I make it in, uh, under the extra minute stars? Yeah. All right. Uh, from Chris Williamson, uh, you guys ready to do this list now? Do you already have the list called up or do you want me to put that later in the show? Ready. I
2: emailed it to you. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
3: All right. Cool. All right. From Chris Williamson via email, can we get Dave's take on a few items on this list? Seems right up his alley. What this is, is uh, best kitchen gadgets that unnecessarily do one thing well and it's on uh, Gizmodo, right? And it's, I guess, was a Christmas buying guide. So, so uh, we'll look at it. First up is a tuna can press. I'm going to say this is a ridiculous item. It's a uh, I mean these are all ridiculous, but I'm going to say that this is like maybe one of the worst cases of landfill on earth. Do any of you guys have a problem with just opening the can of tuna fish and then squeezing on the lid to get the get the product out?
2: No, that's no. usually what I do.
3: Yeah, I mean, but is there a problem with that? No. Am I missing something? Nope. So this is just land street street Does it even open
4: it, or is it just no? A pre- sti- just the press.
3: You still need a land. You still need a, a can opener. If this was like a, a <laughs> like a Jim Belushi style, a John Belushi style of situation where you could crack the can over your head and it drained the juice, and you didn't have to have a can opener and you got to look yeah. like a meathead in the process, fine, fine. Yeah. But this is just. You already need the can opener. This is one of those things that when you open your Nastasi you're going to I know you hate this. When you open your kitchen drawer, <coughs> that thing that gets caught on the lip in the drawer so the drawer doesn't open and then you're like bam 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 yes. opening the drawer and like you know what yes. I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 Yes. Architects Matt. out there. I've had this discussion with my wife. Architects, a lot of them aren't necessarily cooks, and they don't have full drawers because architects are neat, and so they don't overstuff their drawers, and this is why I don't think they know this. Any contractor or architect out there, if you can put your hand into, like, remove the drawers out of wherever you are. Just take the drawers out right now. Go do it. Forget listening to us. If you can put your hand into the drawer cavity and then draw your hand forward, and your hand catches on anything, that's what's going to happen to that spatula or that pair of tongs or that knife that you jammed into that that thing when you shouldn't have and you're gonna leave someone like me sitting there going bam 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 likewise the bottom of like of drawers that go underneath other drawers if i can move my hand out and hit on any limb, that's time i've done one <laughs> tuna press can and I'm, and I'm done with that one now listen you're supposed to weigh in on this anyway nastasia all right Roly, the omelet log Wait, machine. Wait, am I doing
1: two minutes per these? Do you get to freaking
3: choose. Like, inst- like I, I, love the, I love the robot thing, but you get to choose. All right, listen, we have to talk about this one because we've already discussed this on the show. They need to go back and look at the, at the old ones. Someone gave us the Roly, the omelet log machine. And if you remember, we had to evacuate. So, this is a tube that you plug in and it cooks a single tube shaped omelet. Do you remember this, Nastasia? Not really. We had to evacuate the entire Roberta's because it smelled so bad. It's not Roberta's, but the, the, the container behind Roberta's. Remember we, we put the, we put the mixture in on the show and it like burned and stank up the entire, entire yeah, thing. Yeah. That was a complete nightmare. Yes. Uh, what do you think about the calorie counting digital rice paddle on this? No, don't care. It's garbage, right? But uh, for recipe developers and only for recipe developers, I think it would be interesting to have a spoon that could weigh as you were measuring out spices because when you're developing recipes, that is a pain in the butt. Uh, next up is spherical ice cube molds. Now, John, I haven't talked to you about them. What do you think about spherical ice cube molds?
2: I, I don't. It takes up too much space in my
3: What do you think about receiving a drink with spherical ice in it? Uh, not a huge
2: fan, I guess, because as you sip it out of the glass, it bumps up against your face.
3: Yeah, I don't like it either. Nastasia. you don't, do you dislike it or don't care? I don't think there's a use for it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of spherical ice. I think that's an idea whose time has come and mercifully is gone. All right. The Ultimate MYO Mayonnaise Maker is a device where you add the ingredients and it separately puts the egg yolk in and makes mayonnaise. There's no reason for this to exist, but I got to say something about it I like. Maybe it's because I like mayonnaise so much. What do you guys think? Useless. But you don't like the idea that it can make a mayonnaise? No. Wow, you're real interesting today, Stas. Man. Uh, pizza scissors. What do you guys... Now, I have to say, uh, I don't really understand why you can't just cut pizza with real scissors if you wanted to do that. But I have noticed, I have watched people cut pizza for many years. Why is it that people have trouble cutting through a pizza in one shot?
1: I don't know. Should yeah, I keep I going?
3: Know. More two minutes? What, you said asked... You're, you're not even listening. To, I'm asking you questions and you're not even answering. I'm just trying to get us to go through all our listener questions quickly. But I mean, maybe. we can go back to these later if you want, but yeah. I have a specific question. Have you noticed that people have trouble? I think because this is a big problem. I've watched people try to cut through pizzas, and for some reason, I hate it when you... People go over the pizza again and again and again and again and mutilate the slice. It's like uh, you ever watch a surgeon work? you ever been in an operating room assisting a surgeon? No <laughs> okay Well you know again, I used to do this you know for my summer jobs right? Not on people, don't worry but uh, but it's like all the surgeons know you could tell someone because they're tentative when they're when they're making the cut. Right? Real surgeon, they go in and they don't want to sit there and like keep going back with the scalpel, like cutting, 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 cutting. You want to go in and cut. Same with the pizza people. You don't need the scissors if you just push hard enough with the knife on the first go around. Just make it through the pizza in one shot. And if you can't make it through the pizza in one shot, forget trying to learn to slice fish for sushi. Just forget it. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. More you don't no well again you don't need pressure with sushi but I'm just saying you need to get rid of that tentative nature you need to make it through the pizza you guys any feelings on this does does this not is am I the only person that's bothered by this phenomenon
4: think so yeah I'm not bothered by this but for all the listeners who cannot see the pizza scissors the only thing that apparently makes them pizza specific scissors is that like thirty percent of the object is taken up by this giant cutout that says pizza. You well, I mean it that-
2: includes the built-in plastic spatula, so you can immediately serve up a slice without the risk of the crust going limp under the weight of the toppings uh, and all the cheese sliding off when it's uh, <laughs> loose oh, that's structural that's integrity? It yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you wouldn't have that problem if you didn't lift the pizza up at all. If you could just cut it on the board like like you're supposed to.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Are you fans of knives or rolling cutters? Rolling. Really? Yeah, I
2: think rolling. Yeah.
3: Do you guys use the giant, like professional style rolling color cutter, or the little one?
4: Little one, I think. I think the I don't little one. Like it. is the to giant clean. one?
3: The giant one is like six inches across. Makes it easier to push down because it it doesn't it the contact area is a lot closer to flat, and so um, it doesn't ever. You know how like sometimes a small pizza roller when you're pushing it, uh, it will uh, it will kind of like you know slide in and kind of dredge up the pizza toppings yeah yeah so the bigger ones won't ever won't ever do that i mean the the concept of a roller is a good one in that it's got a relatively small contact point so it doesn't take as much pressure to go through but that's why a curved bellied like traditional curved bellied knife right is good if you push it down on the one point and then roll through it so your point of contact is never that uh large anyway we actually use Uh, The Mezzaluna that my wife and I got uh, on our honeymoon to cut pizza at our house. A decent sized one, not like one of these little weird ones that's meant for just like, you know, one herb. Uh, All right, Chris, we'll get back to some of those other things if we have time, which uh, we probably won't. Uh, Zach wrote in via email. Uh, Is this still the correct email? Here it is. We're talking about it uh thank dave and whoever is currently on around the show since in the 160 episodes of back catalog uh the staff has uh changed a few times well it's matt now people it's matt hold on a second i have my son booker tapping on my what booker be right back okay
4: <laughs> i i'm almost up to my hundredth cooking
3: issues by the way i'm very excited about. That. wow out of how many episodes have we done Eight million. Eight million. yeah 8 million.
4: so hundred out of eight million ain't bad In Uh, case you guys were keeping track, something
3: like that. In case you guys were keeping track, Booker will be right back. back. All right. In the last uh, five months, I was hired as a server at a restaurant. Then let do uh, let go due to pandemic related issues. However, in that time, I learned uh, about drink manufacturing, bartending, went down the wonderful rabbit hole uh, of knowledge and pleasure that has led me here. At any rate, my question uh, is as follows. My grandmother buys diatonic water for her gin and tonics and uh, and used to love a diet carbonate grapefruit soda that has been discontinued. Which one? You got to tell me which grapefruit soda. Uh, That has been... uh, They haven't discontinued Fresca. Am I right, people? Anyone?
2: I don't know.
3: By the way... Fresca, for those of you that don't drink diet soda, is all diet. There is no diet fresca. And that's the secret trick. You can tell whether someone is just being a jerk about not liking diet soda or whether they actually don't like it is you serve them fresca because non-diet soda drinkers don't even know that fresca is diet. It's like Amstel. I don't like light beer. Here, have an Amstel. Oh, this is nice. You like light beer. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay, so my uh, grandmother buys uh, Diet carbonate grapefruit juice. For Christmas, I'm getting her a Soda Stream, and I'm interested in being able to produce a great tonic syrup, begrudgingly diet. I found this recipe for tonic syrup. I wonder if you guys have input on it uh, and it's a recipe for the ultimate gin and tonic. Uh, John, do you have that recipe?
2: Uh, no. Right,
3: we'll call that up and take a look at it. I'm going to substitute simple syrup part with uh, the keto. What's keto friend? Is that some sort of like, uh, is that some sort of Stevia nonsense? Do you know what keto friend is? Keto is a diet, but right? I don't but what know. is Keto Friend a sweetener that you guys have heard of? Nope. With the Keto Friend, oh, 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 uh, uh, er, er, uh, By the way, I don't know anything about current uh, erythrawls, the s- substitute sugar. That I don't know anything about current substitute uh, sugars. Uh, also, for the recipe, I do not have xanthan gum for thickening. Do not thicken a tonic water with xanthan gum. Do not thicken a tonic water with xanthan gum. You will you will look far and wide before you will find anyone thickening a product that's meant to be carbonated with xanthan gum because it's going to spray all over everything. So just immediately throw out the idea of using xanthan gum. And instead, you're going to want to use, um, you're going to want to use, uh, uh, my God, my brain just erased. Just use um, glycerin, vegetable glycerin. Uh, you can get it. It'll body it up uh that'll be great it'll let you reduce the sugar you might have to add a little more of a bodying agent because you don't want to add that much glycerin but that's that's what you should uh that's what you should use and uh remember uh grapefruit sodas the way that everyone knows their grapefruit is they add a clouding agent to them and you can just from a soda manufacturer buy a clouding agent all right, all right. that makes sense is that a good enough answer two minutes but it's already over Stus.: i'm telling you yeah okay but, oh, so in other words, it was good because it was within the two minutes, not because yeah, I actually trying to get you to,
4: like, build up your right. internal clock for this.
3: Oh, yeah, that's not going to work. All right. Uh, Alex Edwards uh, from Instagram. Hey, relatively new fan. Uh, I'm up for a head chef position. Congratulations. By the way, Stas, are you counting from when I start reading the question or from when I finish reading the question?
1: It's hard because, you know, you kind of go into tangents like, halfway through the question, and then you get back on the question. You sort of answer it in the middle, so I'm trying to figure out when to start it during and i'm trying to give you like the most amount of time so it's it's not is this part of alex
3: edwards two minutes i'm just curious i'm not (laughs) judging one way or the other i'm just asking no all right right. you know what like one thing i know about nastasia is is that even if i don't understand it she has some sort of internal system so we're just going to roll with it you know what i mean uh all right uh I'm up for head chef position. I was wondering if there are any books that outline the administrative side of being a chef. Uh, The restaurant is going to be part of a tap room, so the menu will be elevated bar food that highlights the beers. I'd love any advice as I'm up against a sous from the French Laundry, so I need any edge that I can get. Thanks. If you're up against a sous from the French Laundry, like, if they want... Okay, I'm going to be harsh. If they want the specific kind of person who is a sous at the French Laundry, right... In other words, like like someone who like it's a very specific kind of perfection. So like one of our favorite interns of all time, Long, remember Long Nastasia? Hello? Did I lose Nastasia? Did I lose everyone? Said yeah. Oh. Uh, he was one of our favorites, right? And he went to go work at, at Per se and We were like, yo, dude, you're already, you already punish yourself so much. You already, you already have so much like internalized, you know, self-aggression. Like, do you really need to go get punished like that? So like people who like thrive in that kind of environment of like ultra perfection and like self kind of effacement to like, like a monastic goal, it's going to be hard to beat them unless you're the same kind of person. Right, Stas? Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, as for books, uh, the French Culinary Institute used to have a whole course on this subject. Unfortunately, I never really read their documentation for it, so I don't have a good bibliography on this, and I haven't read a lot of good books on it. But maybe, um, John, maybe you could put this out to uh, Matt at Kitchen Arts and Letters and see whether or not uh, he has any good suggestions, and we'll read them on the air next week. Does that sound like a good idea? And, and always a good thing to do, people, is call Kitchen Arts and Letters and uh, ask them for their recommendations. And uh, they will always know, because, you know, um, John and I packed up their whole library twice, uh, and then uh, the French Culinary Institute's library. And I went through all of those books, but it was before I got the question, so I don't really have any, any memory of it. But you really want something more uh, current and up to date. Matt knows. Uh, was I, was I in, on time, kind of? Yeah, you have 15 seconds. Woo! Now, is it like the Congress where you add the 15? Oh. No. The, the idiot from New York reserves his time. No? <laughs> um, no. Th- how boring are those congressional hearings, by the way, without talking about They're just so boring. I'm uh,
4: glad that we run this operation with fewer rules, although we're trending towards congressional-level rules here.
3: I mean, no. The gentle lady from California. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, from Chris Grady uh, hello Dave and Nastasia. Uh, here's another thing sorry like why do they have this rule where you have to fake only address the speaker I- in congress like everyone knows I'm talking crap about the person sitting right next to me why do I have to address the other p- weird weird uh, imagine if Nastasia and I could only insult each other by talking to John
1: isn't that what
4: happens we just insult <laughs> each other directly don't we yeah this sounds like a good theme for an episode we'll try that next week
3: where Nastasi and I can only insult each other with passive-aggressive third-party talking to John. John would hate
4: oh. yeah, We well, can use Matt then. How about we
3: use Matt? <laughs> he doesn't have to tolerate us any other time of the week. So. Yeah,
4: it's, it's we can one hour. <laughs> I, can, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can just grin and bear it there.
3: Yeah, we'll try it. Uh, the engineer knows. We'll just say it like that because you never refer to them by name. It's only by their title. Anyway. Uh, recipe authors sometimes recommend making a stew a couple of days ahead of time to let the stew develop a better flavor. Is this true, and why? Or as we say, why? Uh, can you please explain the science? Uh, P.S. Your applied science riffs are great, explaining the capacity of electrical outlets in my home as compared to the wattage advertisements of blender manufacturers. More of that, please. It's not boring, Nastasia. Uh, who knows? Maybe I would have become a scientist if someone like you taught my high school science classes. Uh, thank you. Well, you know what? I think teaching high school science would be kind of uh, fun, except for like the fact that it would not be at all fun. Can you imagine having to teach high school students? I mean, John, you were a college professor. Can you imagine like having to actually wrangle high school students?
2: No, that would be a nightmare. Also, just to clarify, the Chris did not say it is not boring. Nastasia, Dave added the Nastasia thing. I, I, added the for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I added the word
3: Nastasia. I uh, added the word Nastasia. I had great. I had some great high school uh, science teachers. I had a science teacher in high school. Her name was Mrs. Zook, and she was a chemistry teacher, and she saved all the stuff from the 70s that they weren't allowed to use anymore in the 80s when I was in high school, and she would let us play with it. Like, she would let us play with carbon tetrachloride, which actually saved my life later. The fact that I knew exactly what carbon tetrachloride smelled like saved my life when I bought my first That Well, I don't save my life, but it saved me from consuming a bunch of carbon tetrachloride. Anyways, um... There's a bunch of things that happen in a stew. First of all, the items that are in a stew haven't necessarily reached equilibrium. So one of the things you'll notice when you cook something in like a large format, like a, like a stew or soup, and it has chunks in it. If you have a soup that had no chunks in it, I would guarantee you that uh, pretty much it would... It, no chunks, um, no chunks, like Vitaprept, that it would stay relatively stable other than oxidation and other things that happen, right? So the things that happen over time are large chunks get more equilibrated, and this is why uh, you almost always need to add salt on the second day after you taste something, because what's happened is is the salt has leached into all of the products, and the external amount of salt is lower, and so your perceived saltiness is lower. Have you all noticed this effect? Anyone with me today?
4: I, I have not noticed this. You
3: you have not noticed that when you make a mac and cheese or something like this and you and it's perfect and you eat it right when it comes off the stove, that when you reheat it, you don't add a little more salt? You've never noticed this? Or like when you cook or when you cook a soup and it's got chunks of stuff in it and it's fine the first day, the next day you have to add a little more salt. No one's noticed this effect because it's a real effect.
4: I think the no. problem is that in my life, I am adding salt basically always to all food items right before consumption, no matter what has happened.
3: All right. Well, this is a true statement. The other thing that's true is is that um, other things like ground spices haven't been usually thoroughly exhausted into uh, your product yet, and your act of masticating typically – that's French for chewing. It's not really French. Uh, doesn't break up those spices anymore, and so you're not getting a lot more release, whereas you are getting more release, as they say, meld over time. So those, I think, are the primary two things. I don't think what you're looking at is, next, is necessarily oxidative effects or any sort of other uh, effect like that, although could be. Who knows? Um, all right. Was that an okay answer? Yep. I can't believe none of you have noticed. I want all of you guys out there to notice. When you put something away— Especially cooks, not just people sitting at the table eating. I want you to notice that when you serve it at the table, you serve it with a certain amount of salt on it, right? And you allow people to add extra salt because, whatever, people, not everyone likes the same amount of salt. But you know what it tasted like when you served it, right? When it's cold, don't taste it cold because that's different. Once it's reheated, taste it again. Tell me if it doesn't need more salt, unless you oversalted it yesterday, in which case, whatever. Uh, from Brian Yurko on Instagram. Uh, do you think pressing the solids from making stock with a hydraulic press, like you do with nut milks, would be of appreciate? What kind of nuts, Nastasia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love, I, I love it, I love it. The, uh, it's these. All right, um, like you do with nut milks, would be of appreciable value. It sounds silly, but I know there's a ton of liquid uh, stock stuck in the veg and meat leftovers. Uh, kind of the same thing as using a duck press, the old school French. Way- I don't know. I mean like my hydraulic press press now that the bar is closed is in storage. Otherwise the next time I made some stock here, I would just, uh, I would just, you know, do it for you. But, uh, I don't know. Wait, do John, what do you think?
2: I, I think I'm you'd guessing she get...
3: doesn't care or I'd ask her opinion.
2: I think you'd get a good amount of liquid out of it, but I th- you know, I think you'd also get a lot of like little solids and it would really make it cloudy.
3: Right, but, but everyone loves a cloudy stock nowadays, right? Do they? Don't they? I don't know. Like, isn't until- the bone broth whole thing all emulsified sauces, all emulsified stocks? Yeah. So um. I'm saying you have your regular stock that's not like that, and then you, you, you do the super squeeze on it and you get the, the rest of the stuff.
2: True. Yeah. yeah.
3: Hold on one second. Uh, my kids, for some reason, think it's fun to let the dogs. like scrape on our doors. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh, all I can hear, like when you have a 75 pound like black lab, like with its nails scraping, I mean, you can imagine it scrapes the hell out of your door. Anyway, they're still not doing it. Give me 30 seconds.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Cultivating environmentally sound, economically viable, and community-focused farms and food systems. PASA Sustainable Agriculture's annual conference is one of the largest gatherings of sustainable farmers, food system professionals, and changemakers in the nation. The 2021 virtual conference takes place January 19th to February 5th, and features more than 90 sessions on topics that include soil health, climate change, crop production, livestock grazing, urban agriculture, community building, food justice, and much, much more. Don't miss keynote speaker Robin Wall Kimmerer, scientist and author of Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. Learn more about PASA Sustainable Agriculture's 2021 virtual conference and register online at pasafarming.org conference.
3: And I'm back. That could have been the commercial break had I thought of it in advance. Do we still do commercial breaks? How does that even work, Matt?
4: You, you do indeed, and that will almost certainly be the commercial break.
3: Oh, all right. Uh, from Andre Garcia via Instagram. Hey, Dave. Uh, sorry to bother you, but I would like to ask you, how can I clarify coffee? Thanks so much for your help during these years. I wish you a Merry Christmas. Well, wow, that's an old question. Andre, coffee... Not espresso because espresso is an emulsification, um, but coffee standard like drip coffee is already clear. If you um, if you were to take a pane of glass, and pour it and look through it, you could read newsprint through it, right? Um, so it's not it's not really it's just really dark. So if if what you're asking is, I mean, you, you could do a clarification procedure on something like an espresso. I don't know what the best technique would be to break the emulsion and get all of the uh, the non-dissolved solids out i mean i've never tried it in a spinzol in other words but or or even a larger centrifuge or you know a super speed centrifuge but if what you're talking about is making it clear that's more of a distillation um, situation and coffee does not distill very well because all of the bitter stuff that makes it really coffee like just doesn't distill uh, so, you know, someone in the chat room or whatever, you know, send me some way of making something that tastes like coffee that's clear and I'll, uh, I'll shout it on uh, out. Um, is that okay, Stas? Yeah. Yep. Right. yep. Uh, Evan Kristoff wrote in, can you please explain your dilution ratio in liquid intelligence? Uh, I assume I follow order of operations just confused as someone as precise as you didn't use parentheses on page 123 for reference on dilution. All right, listen. Evan, back when I wrote Liquid Intelligence, lo these many years ago, uh, bartenders constantly gave uh, what they called dilution, but they never would say what the dilution meant. And so when I wrote it, it was already a loaded term, and so I wasn't able to kind of make up exactly what I meant. So back then, a bartender, you didn't know if I said 20% dilution, does it mean that that the drink is water, does it mean I've taken my initial base and then taken 20% of it? So uh, on page 122, I write uh, this. I'll just read what I wrote because uh, I was in a much better frame of mind back when I wrote this. I was a couple years smarter Uh, in reverse. Uh, Dilution is measured... In a percentage, right? So all of my dilutions are measured in percentage. If I quote a dilution of 50%, that means that every 100 milliliters of original cocktail recipe will be diluted with 50 milliliters of water, and the total drink size will be 150. So I quoted it because a lot of bartenders are doing it in the same way, uh, much like you calculate overrun in ice cream. So your initial cocktail is always scale to 100, right? And then the dilution is how much over that you, um, you create. So if it's 150, that's 50%. If if your finished cocktail is 120, that's 20%. If your finished cocktail is 200, that's 200%. Is that clear? I just need to make sure from people who are listening to me that I was clear in what I just said. All right. Uh, and yes, there are better ways to spec it, but when you're already dropped into a pit of people saying all kinds of crazy things, you kind of have to deal with what the pit says. The same way that now I say sous vide when I don't mean sous vide, I say, because I've lost, uh, Ryan Fitz, uh, via email, uh, Hey, uh, B and D team. That actually is an accurate way, except for Matt, Matt, you're not on the B and team. You're not on the turbo team.
4: I'm just kidding. It's true. Interlover. Interloper
3: yeah uh but otherwise that's a good way to talk about us we are the b and d team we even had rebecca the rest of the b and b and d team on the other day you know anyway is that the entire b and d team that's it is that true stas what am i missing am i missing the team yeah you are you're missing a bunch of people that are on the (laughs) who am i missing (laughs) dave (laughs) what kind of question is that what do you mean i don't understand i don't know where you're going with this i don't understand where
1: you're going with this
4: Alright, you guys can figure out your the size <laughs> Who's of an incredibly team, small Are company and some other just <laughs> us, right?
3: In other words, like would you like we there's other people that we work with occasionally, but you wouldn't say that you would say that they're people that we bring in. I would say Rebecca is on the team, right? Because like, you know, it's every you know, every, you know, day we talk to her. But I wouldn't say that anyone else, like necessarily if, if our ship sank, they wouldn't ship sink with us. You know what I'm saying? That's the point. Uh anyway. I don't know, but like whatever I don't know estasia is mad at me I don't know why no okay. um, <laughs> is there anybody else on our team no well the question is how you define team there's plenty of people that work with us ooh right we got our teams of. we got our like the people that we consult with for law for patents we got the people that we deal with with bookkeeping we got people that we deal with for consulting on uh, stuff like our aerodynamics they all work with us okay we got people who are negotiating other deals with us, as you know. We have plenty of people that work with us. It's just a question of whether they're people you work with or whether they're on the team. That's all I was asking. I see. Yeah. I think maybe it's what you're saying that you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know why, I don't know why that bent you. Whatever, whatever. We'll get into it later. I'm sure I'll hear about it later. Uh, I made my first beef Wellington. We're back to Ryan Fitz's question. I made my first beef Wellington for Christmas, and overall, it was a great success. Good. Uh, for those of you that don't know, beef Wellington is a tenderloin. Usually you'll sear that off. You'll mix it with, uh, like, uh, duck cells, which is, uh, uh, mushrooms and onions, like simmered down uh, slow cut fine and pate. You wrap that sucker on crout and you cook it off, you know, in a puff pastry and you cook it off and then you slice it. It's, a best eaten at things like weddings, although they always ruin it. What are your guys' thoughts on – I mean, Matt, I know you probably don't have many thoughts on Beef Wellington, but what what are your guys' thoughts on Beef Wellington? In other words, like, do you feel any sort of nostalgic pang for it? Like, is it something that you like to see, don't like to see? No opinion. No opinion? John?
2: No, I enjoy it. I made one for Christmas two years ago. It was very tasty. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, it's got a very specific kind of – retro, like childhood feel because that was, it was more of a real dish when I was a kid than it is now. Do you know what I'm saying? It was more even of a real, like if you would go to weddings in the eighties, like they would have beef, lot, like beef Wellington was quite common. I feel like it was less common in the, in the nineties and probably like, you probably don't even see it anymore in weddings. Do you? I mean, I haven't been to a wedding recently. Nastasia you've been to weddings. Do you see it ever? I haven't been to one in a couple of years. Okay. Well, a couple of years ago, which is more recent than me. Did you see them? no yeah Um or when you
1: got that wedding invite in the mail and you like freaked out did you ever figure out who that was i did and is it someone in your life that you just forgot
3: i can't talk about it on what air. <laughs> are you
1: serious john do you know about this
3: no i didn't, I didn't talk to anyone no, I, I, I thought so, i yeah. told you
1: john had to dig in through your email to find this person
3: he didn't find them john never found out who it was and neither did you We thought it was someone that we worked with. It isn't. I know the story now, but I can't say it on air. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even I, Nastasia always gives me crap for not keeping secrets. Instead, she feels that we should, she feels that we could be rich today if we didn't just give it all away as she used to say her grandma would do, right? No, what was it you said about your grandma? No. Anyway, that's really shady, Dave. How is it shady?
1: It's shady because you had John and I digging through like, everything and then you don't and I, even I, tell I found us out a month answer. later.
3: I found out a month later.
1: And you didn't even give us the answer.
3: You don't care about my life? What do you care about my because life?
1: Because you had us digging through all your stuff. John, back me up here.
2: Yeah, we did do a lot of digging. Would be nice to to follow up on that, but if we have this phone call later, we can talk about it then.
3: Yeah, but do you feel like I have personally uh what's it called? Is it is it do you feel as though an affront has been committed against you the way yes. Nastasia apparently feels?
2: I mean not really, but it would I don't know like I guess yeah why, why wouldn't you give us the update'd be, be nice yeah. to to know a little bit
3: yeah, all right, yeah, all right, uh all right, so in my constant drive to perfection, I was wondering if you had any rec- recommendations for taking a, a duck cell to the next level, or any other tips and tricks to uh, tr- tips and tricks to making a next level wellington well, uh a duck cell is Pretty damn good. I don't really know what you can do other than just cook it real long and low and slow to get rid of a lot of the extra moisture. Without you don't want to go too much, or you don't want the the, the mushrooms to become dry. But that's what butter is for. Um, John, do you have any uh, good duck cell uh, technologies?
2: Not really. I will recommend well recommend a book that I don't own. I'll disclaim throw that as a disclaimer, but The Pyram by Callum Franklin, he's got this restaurant in London, and he pumps out Beef Wellingtons, and they just look fantastic, and his cookbook just came out, and I've heard very good things.
3: Here's one thing I'm going to say on, on uh, Wellington, and I know that a lot of people get bent at me because uh, there's a certain person, his name is Kenji, and he, for some reason, doesn't believe in, or for whatever reason, low cooking for insurance. He's just got a bug in his hat about it, and I don't know why. But what you want to do with a beef wellington is, okay, do an initial low temp on it just so you don't have to worry, right? Like, I am a huge believer in not worrying about whether or not my thing is done yet, right? Huge believer. The problem with tenderloin is, is that even if you cook tenderloin to its very, very lowest point 54 4 which is the lowest thing that anyone's going to tell you you can cook it for for like a long cook roast you don't want to cook it that long it gets fibery and nasty tenderloin is quite small so what you want to do is you want to put your tenderloin in the in the bag you could sear it first or not i don't care right put it in the in the in the bag in a zippy or whatever you're going to want to do 54 degrees for about 30 minutes right 30 34 minutes. then drop it to 52 Leave it at 52 for like 45 minutes, an hour at 52, right? Uh, that should be enough to get it all the way up to 52, maybe 53 if you've done it right, uh, all the way through. Maybe you could do 54 for 30 minutes, but don't go longer, right? Pull it out, chill it down. If you haven't already seared it, sear it now. Build your Wellington like that. Let the Wellington come up to room temperature before you um, before you put it in, and then just cook it to worry about the puff pastry and nothing else, right? Uh, Kenji's point on Wellington was, I think, ill-taken, which is, if you cook the puff pastry right, it's going to cook the beef Wellington in the same amount of time. Maybe, maybe, but the whole thing's not the same thing. Just cook it, pre-cook it, make sure you don't make it tough, then don't worry about it. Let it come up close to room temp. Right, or if you if you're if you think you're gonna overcook the Wellington, have the Wellington be cold. I haven't actually done the test on room temp versus cold on a Wellington, but just focus. So it could be the cold is actually a better answer. Now that I think about it, but just focus on cooking the puff pastry at that point and then pull it out immediately. Uh, and I think it would be a good thing. Also, the recipes nowadays, John, uh, they talk about using pate, right? They still use pate from that, right?
2: I know. I've been seeing more like uh, cured meats, like prosciutto
3: or uh, jambon bayonne. Along with the duck cells? Yep. I always use pate. I think it's delicious. Thanks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it is. All
3: right. Uh, Mike wrote in from Toronto. Thanks for answering my question about the stiff starter for Panatone. Are we going to get uh, Roy Panatone on? Did I tell you I had that thing, right?
2: You did, yes, but I reached out to their company and I've not heard back.
3: So they don't like us. That's fine. A lot of people don't like us. Uh I've done a lot more research. I mean, what do they have to talk to us? They everyone's like, you know, uh like uh beating each other in the face to buy their 70 dollar panatone. They don't need to talk to, you know, knuckleheads on uh on on a podcast, you know what I mean? Very true. Uh I've done a lot more research and your guests from Harvard that spoke about using the lower hydration as a means for selecting different bacteria were correct. And that's why we had them talk about it. The lower hydration in combination with refreshment cycles are what lead to lactobacillus San Franciscans and, and I can't pronounce that, you know, like lactobacillus from San Francisco fools, uh, being the dominant bacteria, but also allows other bacteria to be present in lower populations. I also wanted to recommend, uh, sourdough, panatone and, uh, Viennoiserie. How do you pronounce that accurately, uh, John?
2: Viennoiserie. You are pretty good. Ah,
3: oh, man. By uh, Thomas uh, Teffrey uh, Chamberlain? It's a very odd way of spelling Chamberlain. Uh, it's a new book, but I think it would qualify for a classic in the field segment. Ah, well, maybe we'll talk to Thomas. Uh, anyway, thanks for doing the show. Uh, certainly a highlight every week. Happy New Year, Mike from Toronto. Not a question, just a statement. Thanks for the feedback. Wally wrote in via the chat room. Hey, y'all. Science question. When I'm making mayonnaise with a stick blender... Uh, what makes it sometimes stick to the blender and other times just slough off cleanly? Wally, hmm, I don't know. Uh, have you, have you noticed that, uh, have any of you noticed this effect? No, I haven't. I'm going to bet that, um, if the blender hits oil first, maybe that's going to protect it a little bit. Whereas if it hits egg yolk first, uh, maybe like, uh, there's some sort of micro attachment of the, uh. Of the you know the emulsifiers and the egg yolk like sticking to the um, blender and that's causing it to stick more. Whereas if it's just straight oil, it'll slip off the same way. That does anyone still when they're measuring honey with a spoon hit it li- with a little spray grease and then put the in the cup?
2: No. No, but that's not a bad idea. Yeah,
3: that's what you do, especially if your recipe doesn't have to be 100% fat free and you're doing a Pyrex. Just. Like, one quick spritz with it with, with the spray grease and the Pyrex, and now honey's going to slip right the hell out. Pro tip. Uh, all right. Kieran wrote in via email. Uh, hey, hey Nastasia, I hope you are well. Just wondering, would you be able to answer on the show if chestnut flour hydrates? I'm assuming we mean chestnut and not water chestnut. By the way, which one of you are the wa- I, mean, I know my, everyone knows my wife hates water chestnuts, but one of you is also a water chestnut hater. Which one is it? I don't like them.
2: Yeah, I'm not yeah. a huge fan of them either.
3: Matt, what about you? Don't tell me you've never had a water chestnut. I'm going to re-sue this microphone.
4: You know, the internet connection's getting weird again.
3: Ah. Uh, right. Have you had a water chestnut, Matt?
4: I, I don't know. I don't think...
3: I don't know. Crunchy white thing, knob-shaped, in a soup, or maybe hacked up in a stir-fry... And you're like, oh, I'm about to eat a piece of ginger. Why does it look so white? Oh, it's crunchy and doesn't taste like ginger. That thing? I think we've been
4: through this. feels very familiar. We've been through this before. I was like, <sighs> is it this one thing? And you were like, no, that's lotus root. And then I was like, I don't know, man.
3: All right, listen. Kieran. Uh, also, uh, what can you use it in? Have you had any experience working with it? We're talking about chestnut flour. Uh, emailing from Ireland. Love the show. Kieran. All right. So there are two things I just want to make sure because we weren't clear on exactly what you meant. There's water chestnut starch which is uh, rare in the, in the U.S. and probably in Europe. Caltrop is the other thing to look up for that. Caltrop, C-A-L-T-R-O-P. Um, but very common as a fry dust, frying pre-dust in uh, Asia. And Nils used to use it um, a lot for, um, for frying things, but back from when he was you know, working in Asia. Uh, that stuff, any pure starch, you can put it into suspension but it doesn't hydrate so well, right? In other words, the way that starches are made is they're called wet milled and the granules don't break up. And that's why if you take a pure starch like a corn starch and not a, you know, that's not pre-gelatinized and you mix it with water and then you leave for an hour and you come back, it will have settled to the bottom, Right, And that's why it's hard sometimes to make pure batters out of cornstarch and things like that and why you need to constantly remix them. It's also an issue with a lot of pure starch, gluten-free-based recipes because it doesn't, quote-unquote, hydrate until it's hotter, right? Chestnut, any flour usually has broken up starch, which will hydrate somewhat, uh, even if it hasn't been heated up, and other things that do hydrate, things like protein. Um, chestnut flour, I've only used it uh, in um, Italian chestnut cakes. There's an Italian chestnut cake that I make where I have used chestnut flour when I'm too lazy to boil and pass chestnuts through a mill or as a second best to buy pre-cooked chestnuts and pass them through a mill because passing things through a food mill sucks. But, um, you know, I, so fundamentally this recipe is very similar to an angel food cake but made with chestnut flour, and it works fine for that. So I'm going to say it does hydrate, but I don't have that much experience with it. Any of you guys uh, have any chestnut flour experience? Nope.
1: Yeah. I had um, and I asked if I should do anything with it for this question, and I was told. But you had
3: some or Dave you didn't have no. some?
2: Dave, I, I told see- you that.
3: I know she said she was willing to do it. Look, what do you want to do with it, Stas? What do you want to test in it? You don't like baking, though, right? No, it's fine. Hey, do you want to hear something that Booker's not? Booker's not listening. Yep. He swears on a stack of bibles he's going to make you your your cake for when you come back. He's like yeah, every. Yeah, but on his every,
1: on his time, he's like, I'm going to make it on the 16th but then you're going to pick it up whenever you get here. Cause I only have the 16th to make it like it's a very specific day.
3: Well, you know, he's like that, but he's like, he keeps every day. He's like, dad, on this date, I'm going to need this amount of space in the fridge and the freezer because I got, I'm going to have to make this cake and blah, blah.
1: I want him I to know. make it for me on Valentine's day. So I need to, I'll, I'll text him.
3: <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Alexander Talgard wrote in. Oh, wait, it's not Talgard, though. It's Tailgard, right? I don't remember. Oh, wait, spoken like English word tail. Yeah. Uh, and then guard. Hope that makes sense. Uh, Thanks for the help with my Red Hot Poker. It ended up working great. Regarding that, uh, I just wanted to know if you can give me a double recipe to test the difference between using the poker and hot water. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, any one of the recipes in the book, you, look, when you're, any one of the recipes in the book, just divide it in half and do, do one and one. You'll see the difference. You know what I mean? And it makes sense to me. Anyway, I was wondering about honey. I know it's possible uh, and kind of dumb, but I want to separate the sugars from honey. How can this be done? I don't have much fancy equipment other than a centrifuge and a Vitamix. I was wondering about um, liqueurs, traditional recipes here always have you add fruit, uh, alcohol, and sugar at once. Is there any reason to add the sugar uh, at this step rather than after you have separated the alcohol from the fruit? Uh, I don't know. Look, anytime you're adding sugar to an infusion or anything else, it's going to be different whether you add it before and after. So typically what people do is they do recipe development and they like it and then they codify it and then they don't change it. And very few people have ever tested like whether they actually like it better uh, by adding it at one point or another. And that's how nine-tenths of all recipes work. Uh, back to so the answer is I don't know, and the and the other thing is, is that I'm sure the results will be different w- whether you add sugar at one stage or the other, but I don't know what the result will be or which one you will like more. As to separating the sugars from honey, it, there I wasn't quite clear on exactly what you meant. Right, so honey is sugar, uh, a little tiny bit of water, and then other stuff. If what you mean is getting rid of the water. Plenty of people out there will um, put honey onto like uh, onto a silpat with edges, throw it in a dehydrator, uh, dehydrate it the rest of the way, crack it up, and you know break it into uh, solid sugar. The reason it's so hard to dehydrate is because it's it's inverted, right? So you need to get almost all of the sugar out, and it's always going to be hygroscopic. It's always going to suck up water. Um, if that's what you mean. I don't, really, but I don't really understand what else you could mean by it. So hit us back with what you mean by separating the sugar out from honey. Do any of you guys have a different understanding than what I'm saying? Yeah. If what you mean is you want to get rid of the sugar and just have the aroma, you can distill it, right? But you said you don't have a, a distillation thing. Another thing you could do is um, if you want just the flavor of the honey but not the sugar. So if what you mean is separate the sugar and throw it away, right? If you get very, very high-proof alcohol, uh, the sugar will not be soluble in the high proof alcohol. So what you do is, it's almost like fat washing but sugar washing, is you add the very, very high proof alcohol to the honey, stir it up a couple of times, let it settle, refreeze it because that's gonna even more uh, make the sugar less soluble in the, in the alcohol and then decant it uh, very little of the sugar should be in the alcohol and the alcohol will contain a good bit of any of the alcohol soluble flavors in the honey. Is that, maybe that's what they meant. Is it, is that, is that a better answer? Yes. All right. Uh, 91 Alex via the chat room. Hey, what's a good way to make chili oil? I thought about heating up a neutral oil, rapeseed, uh, and adding fresh chilies to roast them, uh, uh, adding fresh chilies to roast them a bit and get that good flavor, then putting it off the heat, wait until chilled, separate out the water, Uh, with a centrifuge, would this work? Yep, we do it all the time. But you don't even need to heat it. So if you want to use like fresher chilies, or whatever. N- Nastassi and I used to make that garlic chili oil with the centrifuge. It was delicious, right, Sas? Yeah, it was good. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Just look in if you have a, a spinzol. just look in the instructions under um, oils because the trick is you're going to, the nice thing about it is you just keep adding water until you get the last of the oil out and your your yield is is, uh, is really high. What, one of the problems with making chili oils is that people do heat up the oil quite a bit and uh, I don't want to go too much into it because uh, the buzzer is going to go off, but... Everyone, when they talk about fry oils, what's the one thing they talk about? Answers, answers back. What's the one thing everyone talks about when they talk about fry oils? Smell? Smoke point. Smoke point, but nastasia has got the actual more important answer, which is smells. Everyone talks about smoke point as though that's the be-all and end-all. And you should choose something that has a relatively high smoke point. However, oils that taste completely neutral at room temperature – and that have um, relatively high smoke points, as they start to break down, which all oils do when they're heated, especially in the, in the in, um, presence of water, oxygen, right? Some of them make nasty, fishy smells. And I happen to not like canola when it's heated up because a lot of canola is high in linolenic acid, which when it's heated breaks down and makes those nasty, fishy, off-smelling odors. So just because something has a very high smoke point doesn't mean that it's good for frying. And corn oil, which is not good in salads, right, Right, once you heat it, a lot of the corniness kind of goes away, and it's good in fried foods. Now, if you're going to eat it once it cools back down again, maybe not so good. But neutrality when cold and high smoke point does not a good fry oil make. Does that make sense? I like that Nastasia thinks about the smell of it because that's what's important, isn't it, Nastasia? Not yes. whether it's freaking smoking in the kitchen. It's just it smells nasty. Stas, when we used to do those classes and they would overheat the oil when they were using for frying and the entire kitchen, because they didn't have real deep fat fryers, smelled like that busted up, burnt out oil. Did that not make you want to vomit? Real
1: bad. Real bad.
3: Real bad. I feel like I've been like sensitized to this busted oil. If you guys knew what percentage of spent fry oil is not fresh oil, you would be shocked. Shocked. I mean, like I've been reading all of the data on like when you're supposed to pull a fry oil. Now, a little bit of a little bit of like free fatty acids, a little bit of polymerization. I mean, that's good, right? That increases the amount of uh, of heat you can put into your food, and you can't get that really primo fried flavor with hyper fresh oil. But we're talking like oil, like right before you pull it out of uh, of um, of commission. Only like two thirds of it is still. F- like, quote-unquote, fresh oil. It's it's full of these, like, heavier-weight polymers, and it's full of uh, free fatty acids, which is why it foams like a mother, which is why... You ever notice how spent oil just looks thick? Yeah, it's because it's partially polymerized, right? And so, uh, yes, like, spent, spent oil is some, some, some nasty business. Nasty business. Which is why, interestingly... Um, Do you guys, when you fry, do you save the oil or not? Okay, how many times do you use it? Right. Uh, So, obviously, like, it's best if you strain it that night. I never have the energy to strain it that night. I just don't. But if you cover it better, keep it away from light. Don't store it in light. That's going to help you a lot. And making sure that you don't keep food particles in it for too long is going to help you uh, a lot. Um, but go online if you want to reuse your oil and it is quite expensive to, to throw away oil all the time, Mirror oil, Mirror oil. It's a commercial product. I don't know why they don't sell it to home people. You can buy packets, Mirror oil, you buy mirror oil, uh, and you add a little bit of it and it contains, um, antioxidants and protectants for the oil and it should keep use, you know, use the amount that it tells you to use, but like I, I've never personally had that much experience with it, but I spoke to Wiley and he used it in his donut fryers all the time. And it kept the oil in the donut fryer fresh for like four times as long as otherwise. And you're using only a small amount of it and it it will save your oil, mirror oil. That's my, that's my tip. So for those of you that don't know, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions. We're going to bang those out next week. No guests next week, right? We're going to bang it out. We'll have a brand new president, brand new show, brand new us. Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast.